Welcome to Grover Center's Conversations on the Street, a Shelby County Bicentennial podcast project hosted by Grover Center and recorded in its exhibit, The Streets of Old Shelby. Over the course of this next year, we'll be taking a look at the fabric of Shelby County, how our past informs our present, and what legacy means to different people. Each episode will examine our historical events and figures, as well as contemporaries on the chosen topic through conversational interviews. At the end of each episode, we'll also be featuring musical selections from local musicians. This is Conversations on the Street, and we're so glad that we ran into you. In 1937, John C. Debrie took over as director of the Democrat Publishing Company. Over the next decade, Mr. Debrie would pull the local news away from the partisan press model, first by acquiring the Shelby Republican newspaper, and then combining both the Republican and the Democrat into one newspaper to form the Shelbyville News, a quote, newspaper for all of the people. In 1979, while he was serving as publisher, the Shelbyville News won the Blue Ribbon Award, the highest honor a newspaper can win in the state of Indiana. Up against newspapers with much larger circulation and advertising dollars, it would be easy to be surprised by such an accomplishment. Mr. Depri, however, had been assembling a high caliber of excellence over the previous decade, and so when the time came for them to be awarded such an honor, no one was particularly surprised. Mr. Depri wasn't in it for the awards, however. The newspaper was a way to serve the community, and there are numerous accounts of people talking about how Mr. Depri would walk around town in the evening and touch base with businesses there, as well as the community members he found along the way. His community-first focus extended beyond the newspaper. He was instrumental in starting the Shelby County United Fund, or SCUFFY, he helped with a downtown renovation project to assist stores found there in the 1970s, and he helped lead the Shelbyville Industrial Development Incorporation to form three industrial parks. He also fought to keep the Conrail line, which further impacted the local industrial development. According to George L. Stubbs, his longtime friend and fellow worker, Mr. Depri's work was summed up as this. All of this seemed like additional work for a newspaper publisher, but John C. did not look at it this way. To him, it was part of his job to help his community. John C. never wanted to take credit or thanks for what he had done. He felt that this was his job and a part of his work as a newspaper man. The help which he gave his community will last for years and be a blessing forever. Today we are joined by Christian Rawlings, another newspaper man with community at the center of his work, as well as the publisher of the Addison Times. Thanks for joining us today, Christian. Thank you so much. Why did you start the Addison Times and its predecessor, Saturday Shelby? I've always had an affinity for newspapers. I grew up without a television and enjoyed just every day opening the local newspaper, the Indianapolis Star, reading it on the floor. And so as I got older, I uh, continued to subscribe and support it. And of course, was concerned when I saw 
that local ownership continued to go away nationwide. I spent about 10 years in student affairs, higher education. When I moved back to Shelbyville, I really wanted to see if we could tell more local stories. Didn't want that to get lost. So I went over to Lenny's Bakery, which was my first job as a teenager, and asked Bill Moore if I could just sit in with him early in the morning and find out what exactly he did at 1, 2, 3 in the morning and how the process worked. Just snap some photos, chat with him about uh, local bakery and, and business in general. That article, I think it, we had somewhere around 7,000 views within about two days. And, and I only put it on you know my personal Facebook page and then it was shared quite a bit. So that told me that there's a market for people who want to know what's really going on behind the scenes. That led into Saturday Shelby, which was a weekly publication. In the first year, we generated about $250,000 of revenue. Now, we spent every dime of that just producing the newspaper and more. So we ran into cash flow challenges because, uh, you know, I didn't have a big bank account to bankroll this, uh, you know, $40,000 at a time. So after about a year and a half, we folded, no pun intended, and then moved online uh, after our loyal readers you know, begged us to. That's really where the Addison Times came from. And so we've continued a daily publication from that uh, for the past few years. What makes your approach to the local journalism or to journalism unique? We really do focus specifically on local news. You know, the, the early newspapers, uh, as you well know, uh, would have quotas of having, say, 100 local names. Uh, we don't reach that, but uh, we do have this understanding that I can't compete with Fox News or CNN or, or even Indianapolis Star. I have a full-time job. We have a, a few part-time people who help us out when they can. So we have to focus specifically on, on local issues. What's happening at the Board of Zoning Appeals meeting, city and county, uh, city council, county council, etc. Uh, and then, of course, continuing to tell those local stories. The challenge is that uh, you know, paying for journalism is, is uh, not something that, that everyone does anymore. And so we really have a market of people who see the greater value. It's not purely transactional for our subscribers. They recognize the, the value of having uh, meeting coverage and uh, finding out what's going on locally, which is just something that, that you know, cable TV or the internet cannot particularly do well. That percentage of people who pay for local news is, is relatively low. Uh, and so, of course, there's always the challenge of, of how do we continue the product and evolve the product so that it makes sense. But I've been happy with, with the Addison Times. It pays for itself uh, uh, comfortably. Uh, and so uh, I think that's step one. Uh, the next step then, of course, will be to figure out where we go from here. You know, I think another unique uh, piece of your newspaper is that it's the first newspaper was the first newspaper to be entirely published online here in Shelby County um, using an online platform like you do I'm sure there's different successes and problems that arise out of that um, what type of problems what type of successes have you encountered and why are you willing to take on all of that extra workload as you said having another job because I really love print. This was difficult for me to let it go. Uh, and, and I still dream about bringing a print product back. 
but reality uh, bites. So we'll go with digital. And, and I was encouraged oftentimes by John C. Depper Jr. who would say, you know, why focus so much on a print product? You can accomplish this with a digital product. And I finally came around to it. Uh, it wouldn't surprise anyone that he's more visionary than me. But uh, once we started it, some of the advantages of that, we can adjust rather quickly. If we want to send a special edition out midday, we can do that. On election night, uh, we send out the vote totals and a quick analysis immediately uh, when the vote totals are in. That's just something we couldn't do with a print product. Uh, then, of course, the next day we follow up with more feedback from uh, the, the candidates. The challenge of, of digital is that most of our subscribers would probably prefer print too, but they realize uh, the economic realities of this. Now, the funny thing about our, our platform is that it sends out an email every day, but it actually is archived. You could access it through the website with your, your username and password because there is a paywall. But we run into filter issues. I say I long for the days when you know it was just I could yell at the the paper boy and then go have them re-deliver it. Uh, joking, of course. Uh, but it, you know, if someone isn't receiving the email. Even though they could go online and get it, that's difficult for them to sort out a lot of times because they're used to receiving it in a particular format. So every night when I finish the newsletter, I send this individually to about 40 people who are having filter issues with their provider. Uh, I, I don't know what a solution to that is, and so it's just kind of one of those local levels of service that we provide. But it is a challenge. Of course, the, the main advantage, though, to digital is I referred to is just the cost. Uh, you know, we spend about 15% on the platform, um, but if we were printing, it would be substantial. I know when, when we did the Saturday Shelby newspaper, you know, we were spending about uh, roughly half on print, the other half on postage. And then, of course, that was advertiser-supported. Uh, I also mentioned that we paid our bills right up front because the, the uh, Greenfield Daily Newspaper uh, that, that printed for us expected that we gave 30 days net to our advertisers which uh, created some cash flow challenges we don't have any of that i feel much more comfortable with digital because i know what's in the bank and i can easily budget one of the other things that i think is unique to your approach and something that you've done since saturday shelby was that you use student journalists why was this important to you that is something that I don't think anyone else could provide is the student voice. And we've been fortunate to have some great uh, student writers. Now, I'll start with uh, when I first produced the Lenny's uh, piece, uh, Gabrielle Reed, who was a senior at Indiana University in the journalism program, reached out to me, and that was a godsend. She, in that summer after graduation, worked for us uh, for a, a, an extremely low rate. She may have even volunteered some. And then we started, as the business grew, we continued to pay her. At some point, we made her the editor. She's the only person that served as the editor uh, of any of our iterations other than me. I wish we could have kept her forever, but when I started fielding phone calls from Gannett and other places, uh, I knew that, that uh, the time was short. She ended up taking a, a much uh, better position in, in Nashville, Tennessee. But we've used that formula even with high school and even middle school students. 
I think that really came into play with the pandemic because no one was allowed into schools. And as a teacher myself, I've been hesitant to mingle my two professions. And so, but students can, can do that, tell their side of the story. I'll read a couple of lines I brought uh, from Naomi Geringer, who was wrote one of the first articles about how quarantining actually worked at schools. Most of our readers just had no idea. And so she wrote, when the teacher's landline phone rang during Jonah Anspaugh's social studies class early in the school year, he figured a student was checking out for the day. He was disappointed to find out it was him. She goes on to explain how students would get called down to room 108, the dreaded quarantine room where their parents would then come pick them up for two weeks because they had been a close contact of someone who had tested positive for coronavirus. That's a perspective that no one else could provide and it's something we need to continue to, uh, to, to promote. Now the challenge of course with student journalists, especially the younger they are, is training them and how to uh, write because writing journalism is so different than the you know formulaic uh, academic writing they have done to that point in their careers now but I think it's well worth it if we can have student voices they can explain what's going on because frankly our subscribers we collect no demographic data on our subscribers but I'm pretty sure they're older uh, I'm pretty sure that we, we have the uh, 60 and over crowd which means that most of our students and their parents are, are not well connected to local journalism. By giving them that voice, uh, I think it helps the community in, in several different ways. Uh, on top of those challenges, um, not just with training the student journalists, but you know the financial challenges that come with running a model like this, having two jobs, um, and then figuring out that, that whole ocean to navigate, what other challenges have you faced in your time with this this publication. I read a lot about news deserts uh, throughout the, the nation and this is a that's a tough term for me because I think in Shelby County we have a lot of width but no one can afford to provide a lot of depth. We have a, a daily local newspaper uh, that like most print media has struggled to maintain it. No longer does that uh, do they have 13 full-time journalists plus an entire complement of staff of course we have a radio station that, that has an interesting concept of advertiser-supported uh, local news posted online. Perhaps if they can combine uh, some some uh, products there, they can make a go of that. But I think nationwide it's been challenging to have an advertiser-supported digital product. Then, of course, we have a subscriber-supported. Uh, and so we're all fighting for the same news. And I think we all uh, do a good job of, of capturing what's happening at these local meetings and getting a sense of the local story. But no one's able to delve into the depth of why do these things happen? What are the trends for city expenditures, etc.? That's where we someone has to get to, uh, and, and I don't have an easy answer for that. You know, I've, I've been intrigued to look at uh, sports reporting locally of late because it's it's a game number one we just really cannot play uh, yeah sometimes we'll produce uh, scores from the previous night's games uh, maybe a few highlights that were posted by the schools themselves on twitter but we don't go to the games and cover them uh, the the radio station of course actually attends those games uh, some of them and and 
does play-by-play calling. So they have the advantage of having those relationships. The question is, how valuable is sports reporting in today's world? No one really knows that. Certainly, this is no longer the day of, of Bill Garrett when uh, you know the entire community seemingly went to the game and then wanted to know the next day what the coach said afterward. Now I think there's more of a rotating fan base because it's the students' families who are most interested. And that's tough to build a, a market around. The other challenge we face is that no, because of the bifurcation, so to speak, of local media, no one particularly has a whole lot of power anymore. The Shelbyville News was so powerful that I think all other uh, businesses, organizations, forms of governments had to respect it. And sometimes their arms may be twisted to do that. Uh, but we don't have that sort of power anymore. And, and it's tough because I don't think there's ever a way to get that power back with a subscriber-based product. I have some ideas that, that maybe how to get that power back, but clearly we're still sorting through these things ourselves. This, I think, particularly uh, came to light with uh, the cartoon work of Dee Bonner, who, of course, drew a weekly cartoon for the Shelbyville News for many years, and his full-time job was, was advertising sales and advertising director, and he's one of those quintessential local newspaper names you have to mention along with Jim McKinney or John C. Depper Jr., etc. Bonner used to draw a four-hour weekly newspaper, and we had a lot more power then because we were producing 12,500-plus newspapers a week, Uh, and so just by mere reach, we had that. Now, of course, Bonner's cartoons are not as friendly as the George Stubbs cartoons, so to speak, uh, Bonner gets into current issues uh, and and does uh, what cartooning is, I think, designed to do, which is parody and, and draw attention. The challenge is the Shelbyville News of old had the reporting to back up Bonner's work. So when he produced a, a piece, it wasn't the first time that readers had seen this issue. They already knew both sides of the issue and could then judge the cartoon accordingly. What we ran into is we don't have that depth of reporting anymore. And so when Bonner would come up with a cartoon, sometimes it confused the reader because they had no idea what the facts were behind the cartoon. I think that's unfortunate. Uh, I'd love to get back to where we have that depth of reporting that can support those types of cartoons. Now, I, I have asked him if he will... Uh, produce wide open piece for our uh, special Christmas print edition that we're looking at. I'm curious to see where that lands. You've mentioned depth a couple times here, and it seems that it is one of the elements that make up good journalism. To you, could you define what good journalism is? I think the answer to that is continuing to evolve because we used to say, you know, looking at both sides of the issue, but there are also half has to be facts behind both sides. Frankly, I recently fielded a a call from an angry subscriber uh, because we were were publishing the major hospital, major health partners updates on COVID. They felt like we were just giving it too much attention. My perspective is that those are facts and they need to be presented without another side people can then make what they want to out of the facts. I think, though, beyond that, uh, we're challenged in local journalism to figure out 
in this polarized political environment how to survive not just on a local level, but because so many issues such as the pandemic have become political to some degree that it ends up touching our uh, our reporting. When we've done reporting recently on uh, Afghanistan drawdown in the local connections, that also has drawn some fire, and perhaps understandably so, because I recognize that these are political issues uh, at the national level. We try to stay out of that. It's just difficult to do that. I think good journalists, though, especially at the local level, recognize what is the local story? What are people going through? What are the stories we can do that no one else can do that goes beyond just what someone could post on Let It Out, Shelbyville? Journalism is often regarded as that fourth pillar of democracy. And in the days of old, so to speak, there was a obligation to protect and present people with the facts, irregardless of whether they liked them or didn't like them. How do you as a present-day journalist navigate an increasingly hostile environment to journalism? I've been pleasantly surprised that even our readers who I know express extreme hesitancy about the national media overall understand the value of, of local news. But at the end of the day, there's a whole lot less trust for journalism in general right now. And that, that's, that's a challenge for us. I, I don't know that I've ever been accused of, uh, by our readers, of picking a local political side. If so, it's, it's been rare and, and muted. But nationally, Anytime we report a, a hot-button issue, uh, it, we have a little Hoosier news segment. And most of the time I stay away from any type of politics, but uh, we draw readers' ire. We've, on a rare occasion, we'll have someone unsubscribe because of we publish something. But I think leadership is saying we're going to do the right thing. There are tenets of journalism that have to be followed. If we've done that, then at the end of the day, we've, we'll gain the respect of those who support the product, even if they may not like all of the data we produce or feel like that we should produce other or different or alternative uh, data pieces. That community connection is really important, and we work hard to respond to every subscriber's inquiry or challenge. But I think this is a... a the trust of journalism has diminished so much. It's a challenge uh, that I, I think we're going to be dealing with for a long time to come. In addition to these challenges uh, that you have on just the news side of things, the newspaper side of things, and I'm sure that that would be enough, you also are a teacher. And as a teacher, I'm sure that there are or has been conflicts of interest that have come up. How do you deal with or address that to maintain the standards of journalism that you've laid out uh, for good journalism? Because local media is dependent upon, in our case, someone who has a full-time job with benefits, uh, and I've never taken, as I mentioned, one dime from the Addison Times, that does create 
potential for conflict of interest, especially when it comes to the schools. Now, I feel fortunate that I work for an organization that is to the benevolence of society, uh, but because it's an organization and a large one at that that affects many people, it can produce controversial news. We have walked a fine line with it. Uh, one time there was an individual was resigned perhaps from the school corporation that made headlines, uh, literally. I let the other two businesses in town, media businesses, report that and then I reported it and linked it to, to them. I felt like that was our responsibility to subscribers to mention that it existed, but uh, it was important that I not take the lead on that. There have been times though it was unavoidable. One time I was at a school board meeting and there was an interesting discussion about uh, behavioral responses at the elementary level. And there was no other media there. And so I reported on it uh, and uh, it, it drew a little uh, you know, fire and some jokes from, from people in the community. Uh, but I think everyone knows that we try to take an approach of what does this mean to people. We're not editorializing. I have never written an editorial for the Addison Times. Mostly because I realize in today's environment, people don't care what I think. Only if they agree with me would they care. So there's no sense in, in telling anyone what I think about things. But again, diminished power. Newspaper, Jim McKinney, everyone was interested in what he thought uh, because he had analyzed the news to a level that no one else had. And these days, you know, everyone has access to all sorts of news. Um, but with the school in particular, we recently had this issue of a mask mandate that went out from county commissioners. And I really wrestled with, how do I lead with this article? Because anytime you have the word mandate, some people uh, favor it and some people don't, which I knew would be represented among my readers. And so my question was, what was the purpose of this mandate, agree or disagree? And the purpose was that students who were quarantined due to a close contact of someone else could come back to school if they were asymptomatic. So I just led with that. Today, many students will be returning to school due to the mask mandate. That's a fact. We can disagree uh, or agree on, on whether that was important or necessary. But I think that approach has helped us to uh, gain the just the facts, ma'am. Uh, of news yeah and it sounds like in each of these approaches you're constantly thinking about how this information connects or um, disconnects with our community you seem very interested in the health of the community and that journalism is an extension of that i also know that you um, serve the community in other varying degrees through your church like we just said, through the school and, of course, through this newspaper. If community is at the heart of what you do, how, then, is that best represented in all these different aspects? Sometimes readers will say, I only want to read good news. Well, what's good news to one person is bad news to someone else. And so I wrestle with that. But ultimately... 
it's easy to just go through the police reports and publish those. We, we do include jail bookends and, and general crime information. People want to know where a recent theft has occurred. Having said that, it's a whole lot harder to go find out what good is going on. And we have a responsibility to do that. I think that's an extension of what John C. Depry did so well by supporting Scuffy and uh, in sh and working with the Chamber of Commerce. And of course, he was so well known for walking around downtown, uh, you know, tapping on the glass of storefronts. Uh, I know uh, storefront owners of that time told me you always knew it was him. You'd hear his class ring hit uh, your, your, you know, tap on your, your storefront window because he generally cared about people. That also made him uh, harsh on when something wasn't going well, when he felt like the, the, you know, accountability was important in a situation. So we've tried to continue that, uh, th that same approach, that what is best for the community? Well, accountability is important, so we're going to continue that. But that doesn't mean that we're just highlighting all of... of creating uh, a negative vibe. This is, Shelby County is just a wonderful community and we have a rich history and we have a lot of investment going into this community and the people here uh, that care about the community. And if we cannot promote that, then, then what are we doing? And so places like the Grover Center deserve to be highlighted and brought back to the forefront. Uh, I think if we can do that well, then, then we've at least tried to play some small uh, part of being a successful community organization. From here, you've said that, you know, there's gonna be a, come a, another period of analyzation, right? That you're gonna look at the model and question, what is the way forward? Where do you go from here? While I, I know I could just continue the business as is, and I, and I assume continue to collect this revenue. So let's say that, you know, if, if business stays the same, then maybe that means, you know, if we have $20,000 revenue, half of it goes to uh, investing back into new opportunities for the business or more staffing. Maybe I finally take a stipend. But my biggest concern with this is I don't want my ashes to put out the fire of what I, I tried to start here. There's that old saying about nothing happens without people, nothing lasts without organizations. And this has to at some point become an organization uh, beyond me. I have personally hit that send button every single edition. No one else can do that. I need to write an emergency manual because if, if I break my leg and up in the hospital, the, the absent times is not going out and that's a problem. But beyond that, I th think, and this is the $1 question, I would call it the million dollar, but it's local news in 2021. So we'll go with the $1 question. I think a nonprofit is the best way to keep this going. Now there are challenges with that. Anecdotally, I think Shelby County has a high number of nonprofits per capita. And so this can't be another organization that's pulling on community resources. It also would mean the formation of a, of a board, which would mean uh, my voice is less prominent. 
And that's probably a very good thing. But it is difficult when, of course, uh, I started it and have made all the decisions for better or for worse uh, over the last uh, almost seven years. I think, though, there are several people in this community who have a genuine interest and or experience with local news and would have valuable insights. We have paying subscribers. How do we convince enough of them to continue to invest in a product that everyone receives, which would give greater power, like an Indiana public media or a national public radio approach? That's a challenge. This also would involve, uh, you know, there are more and more national grants out there. Some of the largest technology companies that have wrecked local news are now giving a small part back to it. How could we perhaps get a small slice of that, which would not pull from resources already going to our community organizations here in Shelby County? I think that's that's a an area I'd like to delve into, but it's it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, we also have to look at the reality of the other media companies in town. What do they provide and uh, are there opportunities to work together? If we all work together, I, I think we could have a, a, a great product, but the reality is we all have different goals in mind. Uh, and so uh, maybe there's some opportunity to discuss that. Uh, but I think we're going to continue to see digital is, is the key. Uh, and and having a a good approach digitally and and convincing people it's worth investing in. Uh, It's for the betterment of the community. Studies have shown that communities who have strong local news keep their taxes rate low because uh, local government is is more attuned to that. Um, But that, of course, demands power from the readers, which I think comes with reaching a broader base. We have to do currently. I, I think today's Addison Times went out to a thousand and eleven people, so that's encouraging. We have that many people willing to invest in local news. It's also a small percentage of the forty-five thousand people in Shelby County, and that includes children, of course. How do we get there? I think one more comment on that is we have student journalists. We need to reach our students, uh, young, not for profit, I wouldn't expect them to invest in this. We need to find a way to create news that is of value to them. It's a connection to the community so that they see the great things happening in Shelby County and that they will continue to support it. Every year I buy a squib uh, ad and I, in the Shelbyville High School yearbook and I put the same ad in. I just say, wherever you go, support local news. We need to look more at that anecdotally uh, when I was a middle school student, Chris Meltzer was writing a view for my Schwinn, and I was so intrigued. Uh, I, I, and I started writing my own column that went nowhere other than my school folder called A View for My Goped, which was this motorized scooter that I had. And so uh, that was how I connected with Chris Meltzer. And then through him, various other attorneys and, and people in town and that's the connection I have to Shelby County is that, uh, you know, before uh, it was Judge Apsley, I, I knew him as just an, an attorney. Um, and it, those are the things that bring people back. I think the news can play a role in connecting our students to that. And, uh, and we have to get there and, and quickly.
And so those students uh, that you're hoping to capture here, what piece of advice would you give them if they had an interest in going into the field of journalism? Now they have to be entrepreneurial and have a desire to embed themselves. Everything connecting to community is is what we do. I you know I joke that I love going to the county fair. It's, I can buy a corn dog and write it off as a business expense. But students have to be able to really invest in this community or whatever community they're going to. There are fewer students, of course, going into journalism for obvious reasons. Uh, just less money to be made, and it's a very uncertain field. So I think those that can figure out how to pull in social media, create their own branding, uh, those are the ones that are going to succeed. Uh, and to be able to tell a story. When we teach academic writing, I'm not sure we always successfully connect to students Here's the real purpose of this, is to communicate something about uh, a story in the community. Um, and so I try to do that with students. Now I have seventh and eighth graders. It's a young group. Uh, but we pick topics of local interest in class uh, to give them a chance to say, what, uh, how does my writing actually connect? And so my number one thing for them is be curious. How do things work? Before the donuts show up at Lenny's at 5 a.m., what time did, did Mr. Moore arrive to create that process? Um, if they're curious, I think it will make them better writers and storytellers. Established in 2018, and Comium Ensemble is a three-member group based in the central Indiana area that plays a unique blend of music focused on the style of early music. Using a variety of instruments, they play songs from all over the world, some of which date back to the 1500s, and one song can even find its origins in the mid-500s. The word encomium itself has historic roots. A Latin word derived from Greek, it refers to a speech or piece of writing that praises someone or something highly. As many of the ensemble's musical selections have been used as a setting for poetry or hymns, the word is certainly fitting. This month's recordings are once again from John Cole's The Seraph, published in 1821, the same year Shelby County was founded. The first is Laus Dio, originally written by Ludwig van Beethoven as Violin Romance Number no. 1 in G, Opus 40. The second song was originally written by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, as La Clemenza de Tito, a duet.
join us next time as we take a look at the Shelby County United Fund for you.